0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: What is Chalkboard Chat? It's an MPB education podcast. It's a variety show providing information and resources for teachers, students, parents, guardians, and everyday people on various topics. It's learning something new with every publication. Chalkboard Chat. Find the podcast or listen from Chalkboard Chat
2: mpbonline.org. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hello, Professor Gershon.
3: Good morning, Liz, and a good uh, Tuesday to you. Mardi Gras is today, and I hope everyone who's celebrating is enjoying it and but being safe as well and it's always great to have attorney kelly kyle on our show and so we're really happy to welcome him back this morning um uh really always interesting topics and so good morning kelly could you you please remind us about your background and your areas of practice
4: good morning richard good morning liz uh richard you can't see but liz has her full mardi gras regalia on this morning she's in purple gold and green uh it looks like she would be right at home in new orleans today But thanks for having me on. Uh, I don't know. This is my fifth or sixth appearance here, I suppose. Uh, Always a pleasure to be on here, get to take people's calls from all over the state. But uh, as to my background, I've been practicing law for nearly 31 years now. I've been with the same firm uh, now called Kyle Wynn and Associates for uh, about 13 And uh, my firm has its main office in Madison, but we also have an office down on the Gulf Coast at Diamond Head. And we have an office up in the northern part of the state as well in Hernando. And uh, between my law partner, Elizabeth Wynn, and I, we serve clients in three states. I'm licensed in Louisiana uh, as well as Mississippi, and she is licensed in Tennessee and Mississippi. So uh, that South Mississippi office and the North Mississippi office gives us clients in uh, the adjoining states of Louisiana and Tennessee.
3: Well, that's great. And it's, again, you know, you're, you're such a great guest, and, and we appreciate your time. I, you know, I, I think the listeners really do need to know that lawyers donate their time to this show, and time is valuable to a lawyer, so we're, we're grateful. But um, today, we're focusing on wills, uh, you know, a very popular topic, and and we, you and I have been preaching the fact that people need an estate plan, uh, but we still, I think, we can keep preaching that because not everybody does. And so uh, why should a person have a will or an estate plan? And what can happen if they don't? What happens if, if I die without a plan?
4: Well, a will is your way of saying how you want your property to be distributed. Uh, you know, along with the incidences of, of property ownership, you get the right to use that property during your lifetime. You also have the uh, ultimate right to say who gets it when you're gone and that's a a privilege that you have but if you don't take advantage of that right to distribute your property uh, guess what folks the state of Mississippi is going to do that for you or the state of wherever you happen to live we're probably talking about Mississippi here but um, if you don't do your own planning the state of Mississippi will have done it for you in our uh, system of intestate uh, inheritance and that just means that uh The chancery court judge, the chancellor uh, that is handling your estate, will have to uh, reference the Mississippi Code and determine uh, who the people are that are going to inherit from you. I tell people it's a one-size-fits-all, one-size-fits-none estate plan. And, um, of course, they're going to look first and see if you are married at the time of your death. If so, the spouse is going to inherit. Uh, If you have children, then the spouse and the children will inherit in equal shares. Uh, Most people might think that they would want their spouse to receive everything, but that's not the way it goes. It's going to be distributed equally between the spouse and the spouse and the children. If we don't have a spouse, if we don't have children, then we look at uh, siblings and parents. And if we don't have those, then we look and see if there are nieces and nephews. And then I suppose from there, it would go on down to cousins. And it just ultimately ends up being that the group of people who are most closely related to you are the ones who are going to inherit your property.
3: And I would say you may end up... uh...
4: Having your property go to somebody you really don't know that well—that's right. Or maybe not know at all. That's possible. right. I uh, I do know of some cases like that where again there has not been a spouse or children. Uh, siblings have all predeceased. Mom and dad, of course, have predeceased, and it's gone to very very distant uh, relatives. In fact, I, we're concluding an estate state right now from a gentleman who passed away in um, Rankin County, and uh, he has a niece that we had to go to great lengths to uh, locate her, and um, she's in for a pretty sizable amount of money, and would you know, as, as luck would have it, she has now also passed away while this estate has been administered, so it means that her children are going to inherit, and I guarantee these kids never met the gentleman that has passed away and is is leaving them a considerable amount of money.
2: Well, I have a a firsthand uh, story that will interest, I know Jay White and a few other people. My husband's grandmother's brother's grandson in Ohio collected antique farm equipment, and the gentleman had a first cousin but then everything else it went divided up by the grandparents and so I mean we're literally this was um, given to my husband's first cousins but then these other people in another state we'd never heard of it didn't know anything about It, it it was it was wild it was literally out of the blue that we got a a letter from an attorney saying, this gentleman's passed away. And it was antique farm equipment. <laughs> it was a considerable amount of money dispersed over at least 20 people.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, not we at all those, unheard of. Yeah. Yeah, we call those I'm laughing, in the wrong airs. Business if antique, laughing airs. They're laughing Antique farm because equipment's they,
3: paying 20 people. I'm in the wrong business, Liz. <laughs> I think that's a good point, Jay. I mean, but... Uh, you know it's it's interesting because um you know we talk about about this and and really i mean that that person probably had friends he might have given the property people he cared about but but as 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 kelly said the legislature has to decide and they only give it to family members so people who aren't family members charities you know other other things this, this person may have cared about don't get the property kelly I always think that we could uh tr- you know change the whole uh course of the way people do estate planning by saying Instead of calling it an intestacy, you call it socialized estate planning because the state is deciding what to do with your property. That's right.
4: That would uh, get some resistance, I guarantee you.
2: Well, we have a couple of calls. Let's get one. Let's get Cleon, who is called in from Henley. Thanks for calling in today to In Legal Terms. Our guest is attorney Kelly Kyle, and we're talking about wills and estates. What's your comment or question?
0: This question is, involves an item that a gentleman would not like to have in his will, because it would cause hard feelings. He has a helper who does some driving for him sometimes, and he's thinking of putting his automobile in joint tenancy with the right of survivorship with his helper, um, because he wants him to have it when he dies. Uh, what would the downsize be? Because he, uh, he's responsible, he has uh, liability insurance. But uh, would the the person that he'd like to leave the car to, uh, would he be liable for anything? if anything? What would be any of the implications? What would be the downside, if any?
4: That's a good question. And, you know, honestly, I, I don't think I can really think of a downside. The gentleman that you're talking about who has the helper and wants to leave the car to that helper, uh, if – they put both names on the title, then he has the right to do that. Uh, it will go to the person of his choosing at his death. Uh, it would not have to go through probate. It would be a very simple transaction. The the helper would just need to take the gentleman's death certificate to the tax collector's office uh, in the county where the car is licensed, and that would enable him to then have the car solely In his name, I really can't think of a downside to that. Uh, You've indicated that um, they have insurance to cover uh, mishaps if if something happens while they're using it. it. Um, um,
0: What I thought he should consider is, what if he had an accident with a, a bad, could his joint tenant, his young friend, could he be found liable for anything before the man died,
4: that's a very good question, um, Richard. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I was thinking ab- about whether the other party could sell the the vehicle. Um, I,
3: I think probably not. If Both of their names are on the title. That would be probably hard to do. Um, I wonder. Well, here's something I wonder about. If you know, maybe you know, we have payable on death accounts for bank accounts, and the and the good thing about payable on death account is. That person doesn't have access to the account, and so say it was my child and they're on my payable on death account. They can't get to the account until I die.
4: Right. I'm not sure and, there's an a, a analogous uh, arrangement, though, for a vehicle. I don't think you can make it payable on death. I think it would have to be titled in either uh, both parties with an and or both parties with an or between them if it's and it would take both to dispose of it if it's or then either could
3: right and i think maybe that then the way to do it is as an and which means though when uh this person dies they'll have to have uh, you know death certificates and everything else to to sign off on the sale if that person if the other person the survivor wants to sell it um does he, does he even need to mention this in his will though if he does it as a joint tenancy
4: no if he uh has the car set up as this joint tenancy arrangement, it would pass outside of probate, so it would not even have to be listed in the will. That car would not be um, a, an item of the probate at all.
0: Cleon, so I hope going, this no, discussion no, no, unintended, no So no unintended liability could land on his young friend. I don't think so. Okay, thank you very much.
2: Thanks, Cleon. We're glad that you have called in, and maybe you can let your friend and the helper listen to this podcast from inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's usually up later in the afternoon after our show airs. Send us those emails to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We are discussing wills and estates and how. DNA testing might impact that with our guest attorney, Kelly Kyle. Now, if you find this discussion fascinating, and it hopefully will be the impetus for getting your own estate planning done, I'll tell you where you can find some more information next. Not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. So if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show from our website, in Legal Terms. MPBOnline.org. Jermaine Flood is a fantastic podcaster for us and uh, gets our show up there so that you can listen to and even takes away some of the stuff. So we're uh, quite happy uh, that it's a great show for you to, uh, to listen to. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Today we're talking about estate planning with our guest attorney, Kelly Kyle, and we are so thankful that Kelly partners with us, donates his time to MPB to give us information and answer your questions. He comes on from time to time. So if uh, if you need this to help pump you up, to get you ready to get your estate planning going, listen to his uh, past uh, appearances on our show That was uh, June 14th of 2022, September 7th of 2021, and February 23rd of 2021. We do have a couple of calls. Let's go to Hila in Memphis. Ela, we're glad you've called in today. What's your comment or question? Uh, Thank you so much. Um, Well,
1: I usually have two. One came up, you know, after I called in uh first question is if they're trying to find next of kin do they look outside of the country as well like if you have family in other countries um and then the second question is uh as far as trust would it be better in order to not pay as much inheritance tax to have everything in a trust or would it be better to have everything like in joint made kind of like that car situation um
4: no, to, to avoid, is inheritance tax. Okay. Uh, let's take that second question first, because actually, it, while it may sound more complicated, I think the answer is actually very simple. Um, when we start talking about inheritance tax, people need to realize that we currently have, and have had for about the past four or five years, an estate tax exemption in excess of $12 million. So since that exemption is per person, that means that between a couple, they would have to have more than about $25 million in assets before any estate tax is going to be paid. So um, whether you have your uh, assets in a trust or joint tenancy or you don't have a will, uh, inheritance tax is really not going to be that big of a factor unless, again, you're super wealthy um, and over that $12.6 million per person exemption. And we just don't have a lot of people in Mississippi that are subject to that. So okay. as to your other question, I'm sorry, Richard, do you have something? I just want to say it's even in 2023, it's actually now uh, twelve point.
3: It's $13 million. So it's really, you know, it's gone up even more. Um, so totally agree with that. People think that it's the death tax and you're automatically going to pay it. But the truth is, I have no chance of ever having to pay that tax. so
4: I don't either, uh, unless that Powerball ticket that I'm holding comes in. So that's about my only chance of that. Back to your other question about uh, do we look outside the country for uh, heirs? Yes, we do. If they are known, and uh, whether they live Canada, Mexico, France, South Africa, wherever they happen to be, they would be entitled uh, to inherit, and that would be true whether— they are named in a will. In fact, I have a test estate that we're dealing with down on the Gulf Coast right now where um, we have some heirs in Russia, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I have a trust client who has some beneficiaries in- named in India. So, uh, yes, they are entitled to inherit if they are named in the will. And if there is no will, if they are known heirs, yes, you would have to give them notice.
2: Thanks, Ela. We appreciate you calling in. That's an interesting one. Let's go to our topic for the day talking about DNA testing. Um, How how does, how is, you know, this is wild now. I get an email every couple of weeks from ancestry.com because I did the cheek swab thing and I have my ancestry data. And we can get into, pri- you know, that's a whole other show on privacy and uh, and uh, on on where your DNA information is. But you know, now you can find out who you're related to. How has this impacted estates?
4: Uh, well, it's impacted a lot of areas of the law. If you um, keep up with um, some of the more uh, publicized criminal law cases, they captured who they called the Golden State Killer uh, in California several years ago by um, se- uh, putting his DNA that they had taken from a crime scene many, many years ago and put it in one of these uh, Ancestry or 23 or and me type websites. And they were able to link his DNA with uh, a relative and were able to track this guy down and um, Again, just kind of talking war stories here, I've got um, an estate where uh, the lady who passed away had a child that she had given up for adoption when she was a teenager, and she passed away without a will. And um just so happened that a couple of months before she died, this young man had come out of the woodwork, had contacted them through one of these sites. I can't remember which one it was, but, um, you know, was the long lost child that she had given up for adoption many years ago. So now that she has passed away, she had no will. So it turns out that he is a known heir simply because he is biologically related. He didn't, you know, grow up with the other children. She didn't raise him. Uh, He was given up for adoption and— You know, for all practical intents and purposes, he is uh, the child of another couple in another state, but he is also biologically linked to her. So that means that uh, he is entitled to inherit from her. Now, in this particular case, he has done what I think most people would probably agree is the right thing. He has agreed to sign a disclaimer that says he's not asserting his right to inherit in this case. But um, it is a right that he could have pursued had he chosen to. And if I sat here and, and thought about it, I could probably come up with uh, about 10 cases that I know of personally where um, someone has um, shown up and, and it's a, a child or they've discovered a sibling that they didn't know about. So um, it's one of these things that we have to uh, take account of now in doing estate planning. And of course, Richard and I always advocate for people to have an estate plan, but this is just even more reason to do so. There uh, could be these people that, that will show up uh, that we're just not anticipating. But if you do your planning, you can put in a will that these are the people and these are the only people that I want to inherit from me so you can effectively disinherit uh, those that might show up later.
3: do I think that's such an important point. Um, so I can leave people out of, out of a will too, purposely um, except for my spouse. There are protections about a spouse. And we can do that. Talk about that on a different show, but What I mean, uh, if if I um, do, I need a lawyer to make a will, or is there there a way I can make a? Well,
4: you can do uh, a very simple what we call holographic will, and that is simply a will that you do entirely in your handwriting, and uh, I think the statute says it must be entirely in your handwriting and signed at the bottom and have a date on it, and if you do that, uh, it will serve as your last will and testament. I've probated a couple of those. Um, Have one now going in uh, one of the counties down on the coast as well. uh, We've probated one here in Madison County as well that was uh, a holographic will. So, no, you don't have to have an attorney to do a will. But, you know, obviously, I think it's better off if you do. Um, We can cover a lot of the contingencies that you might not think about. Uh, I may have told this story on this show before, but I had a gentleman who did a holographic will several years ago, and um, he put in the will, I'm going on a fishing trip, and if I don't come back from this trip, I don't know what he thought might happen, but he said, if I don't come back from the fishing trip, then i leave everything to John, let's say. Well, he came back from the fishing trip, and then John tried to probate the will, Uh, After the guy died a a year or so later, and um, I think he went to another lawyer and the guy said, well, he put this contingency in here that says, if I don't come back from the fishing trip, I leave it to you. Well, he did. So uh, the question was, did he still have the intent to uh, include John as his heir in that will? And I think the ruling was that he did not. It's it's so interesting. And, and yeah, we're talking about then these unexpected heirs that pop into
3: to someone's life. And you said you've got a situation like that. Um, so what happens with that? If, uh, what exactly is probate? And can it be reopened
4: after it's closed? Well, probate is the process that your property has to go through in order to pass it down to the rightful heirs. And again, That is determined by whether or not you had a will and whether the will is valid or not. Uh, Or if you didn't do a will or if the will turns out to be invalid, then it's going to go to what we call the intestate uh, heirs. And we talked about that before that said it would be uh, your closest relatives. So uh, probate is designed to pass it to the rightful people. It's also designed to uh, give your creditors the right to get paid as well. Um, And in Mississippi, generally, there's a two-year statute of limitations once the probate is closed, once the rightful heirs are determined, once the property is distributed. um, There is about a two-year period in which somebody could come back and seek to reopen that probate. So even after you get the judge's order entered, uh, there's still a little bit of a period there where someone could come back and seek to reopen that probate.
2: Oh, my gosh, this is so fascinating. But all of our shows are fascinating. But this one this one is interesting. Email us your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with attorney Kelly Kyle about estate planning. But if you are interested in DNA testing... I've got some information for you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We hope you subscribe to our podcast or you can find MPB Think Radio recordings from the website mpbonline.org slash radio. Now, if you are interested in DNA testing for Ancestry purposes, there are large databases, which many people participate in, 23andMe, Ancestry.com we mentioned. You can also purchase home DNA kits from chain drugstores. I didn't realize that. The uh, website for the Mississippi Bar has a page for the public Concerning determining paternity, if you're interested, and uh, this is, I'm I'm poking fun at you, Professor Gershon, because I do the same thing too. Professor Gershon said Stacy Lantain did a show on DNA a year or two ago. Well, that was in September 11th of 2018, so that was (laughs) a little more than a year or two ago. But uh, that's also. That will be good extra information for you. Today, we're talking about wills and estates with our guest, attorney Kelly Kyle, and we have a full bank of phone calls. Let's go to John N. Jackson. John, we're glad that you've called in today. What's your comment or question?
5: Hey, greetings to you all. Two quick questions, and I have to give it you, for instance, a man has property. He marries a lady. And she has a daughter, but it isn't his daughter. In one of your last answers, you mentioned the word biological. Is that daughter entitled to any of the deceased man's property? Second, are people—I'm talking about Mississippi State now. If if a man owns property in Mississippi and he dies and he's married, the wife, is it illegal for her to— withhold the will to have a a reading of the will
4: okay All right. I was just making some notes there making sure that I had all of the details let's take your first question first if um, the gentleman that you're referring to marries a woman who has a daughter Mm -hmm. that is not Mm -hmm. his daughter uh, Mm -hmm. your question was is the daughter entitled to inherit from him I would say she is not entitled to inherit directly from him Mm -hmm. But if the gentleman passed away, and let's assume he has no children of his own, he passes away, everything goes to his wife, and then when she passes away, everything would go to that daughter she has and, and any other children that she has in equal shares. So if uh, the gentleman we're talking about, as the subject here, passes away, again has no children, everything goes to the wife, then it's going to go to her next of kin. If he had people like siblings, nieces, or nephews, they're going to be cut out. It's all going to go to her and her side of the family. So the, her daughter would not inherit directly from the gentleman, but she could inherit directly because it would all go to his wife. Does that answer it. that answer your question? Yes. All yes, right.
5: but the second question, though.
4: No. Okay. So are, are we talking about the same person here, or is this— um No. All right.
5: No, we're talking about uh, a grandfather that died that did not have a will.
4: Okay. And then two
5: weeks later, the father died. And I don't know if he had a will or not, because the wife has not presented the kids, surviving kids, four kids, who are grown a statement of the will we don't even know if there is a will
4: okay so we don't know if there is or not if if the family believed that there was a will they could file an action in Chancery court against the wife compelling her to produce the will
5: is that like the land this this county that the land is in
4: uh, well, we have several different venues for determining where an estate should be probated. It could be the county of residence it could be the county of death it could be the county uh, where the property is located probably county of residence would be the safest bet um, that's okay, that 's always so now, appropriate
5: okay residence there, the 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 property is in Scott County, but he lived in Milwaukee. He was part of the Great Migration, went up there to get jobs, and he never did come back.
4: I see. Okay. Well, then, uh, if the property is located in Scott County, Mississippi, and no probate has been opened anywhere else, then Scott County, Mississippi would be an appropriate venue. Thank
5: you very much. Uh, Happy Mardi Gras to you all.
4: Happy Mardi Gras to you.
2: Thanks, John. We appreciate you calling in. We're talking with Attorney Kelly Kyle. We're talking about estate planning. We've mentioned a little bit about uh, when uh, DNA comes into effect, but we are taking will and estate questions. Let's go to. Can we go to Jim? Thanks for calling into In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question?
6: I'm also in Houston, by the way. <laughs> uh, my question is about next of kin inheritance. Uh, is a is a child of a first cousin considered a first cousin once
4: removed or a second cousin Gosh, I would have to go back and look at my uh what do we call that Richard the table of consanguinity, I believe, oh, that yes. that I tells guess. you how to determine how people are related. The child of a first cousin, I believe, is what you call a first cousin once removed. Um yes. that's different from a second cousin. Some people think it's they're one and the same, but but there is a difference there. But there is a chart that Richard and I were referring to that we all learn about in law school that uh, it's kind of shaped like a Christmas tree. And it uh, allows you to start with uh, someone and then go out from uh, there to their parents, siblings, aunts and uncles and determine by following the, the branches of the tree exactly what relation they are.
6: Did you say consanguinity?
4: That's right. Actually, if you Google that, you will probably find exactly what I'm talking about, table of consanguinity.
6: That means common blood, doesn't
4: it? It oh, does. It does. Okay. It does.
6: Well, that, that's what I want to know. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm still enjoying the story about John going fishing. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that, people always seem to appreciate that one. I, wonder if,
6: I wonder if John Sorry. had two two sons, John and Bill. I mean, when had two sons named John and Bill. And that he was going fishing with Bill, and he didn't trust him
4: completely. Uh, you know, that's a good question. <laughs> kind of <laughs> like uh, Fredo in The Godfather. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, thank you very much. I enjoy your show. Very helpful.
2: Thanks, well, Jim. We're so glad that you called in. Let's go. Uh, Jay, where do we want to go now? To Pearl? Let's go to Pearl and talk to Alan. Alan, thanks for calling in, too, in legal terms today. What's your comment or question?
6: Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you all for taking my call. Um, my sister and I own a property, a home in the country. And we just, um, about a year ago, uh, give our stepmother a life estate. And at that time she had, she was paying the homeowner's insurance, which her and my dad did all those years. Um, he's no longer, um, living, but. Um, She was paying the homeowner's insurance then, and we were all three on the um, insurance, but she was paying the premium. Well, recently, she dropped the homeowner's insurance, and I guess she got to thinking about it, and she winded up picking the homeowner's insurance back up. But our names are not on the policy now, uh, but she's paying the premiums. And my question is, in this situation, you know, God forbid, a, win- a total loss, tornado, or fire now, who's going to get the payout on this? I mean, you know, how how would this work if there's a total loss?
4: Okay. Um, real property, uh, you mentioned the term life estate. Real property is uh, ownership of it can be divided between the Ownership of it and the use of it and since your stepmom has a life estate She is entitled to the use of that property A life estate because it is based on someone's life Has a value that decreases every single year as that person ages And like I was telling the guy before if he googles a, a consanguinity table He'll find what I'm talking about If you google a life estate table you will find that as well and um if the property like you said burned or was blown away by a tornado or something like that um i think the payout would be distributed according to that life estate table mom would get the value according to her age at the time but you and your sister would get what we call the remainder value Uh, that's how i think that would be handled
6: right well she's 80 years old and my agent, my agent had told me um, a couple of years ago. I had discussed this even with him back then, and um, he thought like that the you know insurance company was going to go by who was actually on the deed. But um,
4: well, you and your sister would be on the deed as the remainder interest holders, and and stepmom is only on as a life estate holder.
6: Yes, right. So she would get, a, at this point, a small percentage.
4: Right. If she's 80 years old, that figure is probably going to be in the vicinity of 25 percent or so.
6: Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I am sure appreciate it. And um, thank you all for taking
4: my call. Good to hear from you.
2: Thanks, Alan. So it doesn't matter who, uh, I, I guess, a, a beneficiary on a homeowner's policy. I didn't even know there were. I guess you have to have a. Beneficiaries on homeowner policies.
4: Yeah, uh, it would typically be the the property owner, um, and we we could get into all sorts of weeds here. I think as to how the uh, policy is set up, um, and if there are any additional insureds or anything like that. That's getting into insurance law. That's not really my cup of tea. This
2: just reminds me, Richard. We need to we need to do an insurance show on here soon. We can take your questions. Send them any time to our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're so excited that Kelly Kyle has been able to be on our show and has, you know, given his, his time to us. At MPB, we you know we have two missions. We try to provide you with information, but we also have these shows where you can call in and get information. That's part of our, our mission for MPB, and we appreciate Kelly for participating with us. And we'll let you know how you can contact him next. Thank you for being part of our show in legal terms. So if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. I love that, because with it uh, muted, you can have the closed captioning, and so you can read our show while you have the YouTube on. That's, a whole, uh, that's just fascinating to me. Our show is also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are most of our local shows, all of our local shows, I think. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. We truly appreciate our guest, Attorney Kelly Kyle from Kyle Wynn & Associates joining us today. He's from an exclusively elder law and estate planning law firm serving clients in Mississippi, Louisiana, and Tennessee for more than 42 years from offices in Madison, Hernando, and Diamond Head, Mississippi, and Acadia, Louisiana. We'll have that contact information on our show's page. We've got a couple more questions to get to. Let's go to Eddie, who's calling in from Faxton. Eddie, thanks for calling in today. What's your comment or question?
5: Yes, I was uh, wondering uh, how would I go about contacting my lawyer, and how much it would
4: cost to set up a will or a state? Well, uh, the Mississippi Bar has a very convenient website, uh, msbar.org, if I'm not mistaken. I I go there so frequently it's already in my browser. I don't even have to think about it, but I believe it's msbar.org, and you can go there and click on the lawyer directory page, and you can put in, uh, your town or your zip code and find lawyers close to you. And, uh, it will show you everybody in that particular area. Um, the cost of a will is not something I could quote you exactly. It's going to depend on your particular situation, the complexity of it, the number of beneficiaries, the assets that are distributed, uh, a whole lot of things go into that. But, uh, It would uh, not cost more than a few hundred dollars if that's all we're preparing for you is a will. Um, I think I could be pretty safe in saying that. But let me encourage you to do that because, like we said, a will is your way of speaking at the end of your life as to who you want to receive your property. Again, if you don't do it, it's going to go where the state says it should go and has to go. You won't get any input into it at all. The judge won't take your wishes into consideration at all, so do take that affirmative step and uh, find you a lawyer in your area. Go ahead and get a lawyer. Do it right. Don't run the risk of um, you know trying to do it yourself and doing something wrong. But go ahead and take that affirmative step and and get your plan in place. Thanks for calling.
5: Oh, go I, ahead, I Eddie. I want to ask one more question. After you get this uh, set up, when do it take effect right, right away?
4: Uh, not until your death.
5: Oh, okay then, yes. That's right.
4: That will doesn't do anything until you die, and then it has to go through probate too. So uh, just keep that into account, keep that in mind. All
5: right then, thank you. That's all I wanted to know today.
2: Thanks, Eddie. And we, we often tell folks on In Legal Terms, if you want to find a lawyer, in addition to looking at the, uh, the Mississippi Bar page, ask your friends, find out who they, they're happy with, find out who they're not happy with, so that you can get a, a, a personal opinion. We have one last call. It's Denise in West Point. Denise, we're so glad we've got you on the phone today. Uh, what's your comment or question?
1: I have a question and thanks for taking my call. Um, my grandmother passed away a couple years ago and she had um I guess it will be five years left from now on her mortgage and my mom lived uh was a caretaker and lived in the home with her and so she just, you know, uh started paying the mortgage and also she paid the insurance but uh everything is still in my grandmother's name. Um, some family members uh have, have been telling her that she needs to get her siblings to sign everything over to her um so my question is uh is, is is that true and if so what what uh documents she needs to have prepared um to get everything in her name um so there would wouldn't be anything any problem you know uh if something happened in the future. Um, I don't know if I need to mention this, but her name is listed on the deed for the land, but it's not listed on the the home itself. If, if that's um,
4: You're talking about um, your grandmother's name?
1: My mom's name is listed on the land, but it's not listed on the home.
4: Okay. Well... Uh- a deed to real property contains – it also conveys the ownership of any uh, home that's on it as well. There's not a separate deed for the land and for the home as well. So if your, mother, your mother's name is on the deed, um, you may have everything that you need. Of course, when Grandma died and she had the mortgage on it, the mortgage stays attached to the property. Your mother still has the obligation to pay that mortgage. Um, It might be a question of just kind of tidying up the title to the property, and if she uh, had all of her siblings sign a quit-claim deed over to her, that is a quit, Q-U-I-T, claim deed, not a quick-claim deed, as we hear people say a lot. Um, But if they quit-claimed their interest in the home to your mother, uh, that would give her all the rights necessary to it if she needed to sell it later or pass it on to uh, you or her other children.
1: So, okay, thanks for that. So, this is the quick. It's called claim a quit claim,
4: Q U I T C L A I M deed.
1: Okay, is that a form that she has to get a lawyer to prepare?
4: It probably should be uh, because there may need to be some language in there about your grandmother passing away. I don't know if you if she had a will, I don't think you indicated or whether that will was probated. But, um, yeah, it would probably be good to have a lawyer do it because they would probably want to recite some of the facts of her death and who she was survived by and things like that.
2: All right. Thank you so much. We're glad you called in. Denise?
4: Thank you, Denise. So
3: Kelly, this has been great. And let's let's go back to DNA testing for just a second. Let's say I found out I was the heir to an estate, um, and the two years had not passed. Uh, could I... Uh, open that estate, even though the property's already been distributed, maybe, uh, to other people. Uh, And could I demand that I get some of that property back?
4: Yes, you could come in and uh, file a a motion to reopen that estate. And, you know, it would be up to you to prove that you are entitled to it by uh, DNA testing, however it's going to be done, testimony. But yeah, um, within that two-year period uh, that statute of limitations has not run, yes, you could come back in and reopen that estate.
2: This is all very very fascinating and uh, the, I I guess it was when I was in college in the 90s that seemed to have been like the the rise of the the sperm banks. Yeah. kind of thing and and all of the you know people you might be if you were in with in vitro fertilization now so many people may not know who their biological parent is and I know. You might be entitled to something.
4: Yeah. yeah. There are a lot of questions, and the law has not fully addressed it as something that is going to have to be addressed sometime in the near future, so the courts are going to have to take that up.
2: Thank you. Kelly Kyle, thank you so much for being on our show today.
4: Always my pleasure. Thank you both for inviting me.
2: Well, we always appreciate you donating your time to MPB. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Our team today is Engineer Jay White. Uh, Jermaine Flood was our call screener, and she is our podcast producer. So for Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.